You are now listening to the Life on Repeat podcast with Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and elder care coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Hey, everybody. I would love to come on today and talk about transitions. So a lot of times folks experience difficulty with a new transition to what I mean by that is a transition to a new location. There's a term for this actually called relocation stress syndrome. It's also known by other names as well. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I thought this would just be a really important discussion for us to have because so many people are moving their loved ones to another level of care, or they're moving their loved ones to be closer to them if they lived far away, or they may need, like I said, more help. So they're moving them to either a facility or to a new location to where they can receive that, that care. So why is it important to understand relocation stress or transition stress? Well, we're going to talk about that, <laughs> and we're going to talk about what it is. We're going to talk about the impact that it has on folks and recognizing signs and symptoms of that. We're also going to explore who is most at risk, and then we'll look at some interventions and, and treatments and, and talk a little bit about how, you know, what the impact is on the family as well. So why should we explore relocation stress? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One of the reasons that we look at is because folks have an increased risk of depression when they um, make a move, specifically for those individuals that have dementia or memory impairment, because those folks really, we've talked about this in the past on, on other episodes, but change can be very threatening to individuals with memory impairment in a lot of ways. One of the ways is that they're at a greater risk of depression. And so we really want to be looking at the, the mood and stabilizing someone's mood when they are making a move to a new location. The other thing that can happen is life expectancy can be impacted. And so there's a lot of studies out there when we talk about stress in and of itself. And so we know one of the greatest stressors for folks that have dementia is change. And so we want to really be looking at, at that piece again, recognizing how can we support a person who is moving from one location to another so that we don't impact their life expectancy or by introducing more stress into their lives this also has a huge quality of life impact, as you could imagine. And really, one of the things that can occur that is the probably the most notable thing is it can impact the quality of care or the, I guess I don't want to say the quality of care, but maybe the cooperation with care. So when an individual with memory impairment is under in a high stress environment, which may not look like stress to us, by the way, or it may not seem like it would be a stressful situation to anyone else. 
But when a person with memory impairment is experiencing internal stress, it often will impact their ability to cooperate with their care. And what I mean by that is, what I think of anyways, when I say that are things like agreeing to take their medications. They might be more resistant to that or bathing or dressing or, you know, the things that kind of the everyday things that we hope basically that our loved ones need and we hope that they're cooperating with. The other thing that can happen with a relocation when there's stress or trauma involved in that is we risk that mental, physical, and emotional decline. And we see that. I think think most people have heard that before as well, that folks that are moved to a new environment are at risk of having a decline in all of those areas. So we want to watch that. You know, we want to take a look at that. There's also a huge risk of misdiagnosis. And so this is something that we see a lot, especially when it comes to looking at someone's mood or challenging behaviors or just a general overall decline. When, when somebody has dementia, depending on what stage they're in or, or really across the board, when, when we're talking about memory impairment, it can be very difficult for people to not only articulate what they're experiencing, but also um, having the insight to connect the reasons why they're feeling the way that they are. So they may be very irritated, but not be able to express that, you know, verbally, or they may be very, and, or I should say, they may be very irritated and not even recognize that they're irritated, let alone why that might be occurring. So this just goes back to the importance of the caregivers recognizing and taking a good look at the whole big picture. What is going on in this person's life? How can we get curious and creative around examining what could be the cause of this sudden change? So when we talk about a risk of misdiagnosis, it would be really easy to diagnose somebody with, uh, if they haven't already been diagnosed with dementia, diagnose them with dementia because we're noticing a decline in their memory or diagnosing them with depression because they're exhibiting those symptoms. So again, it's really important to dig deeper and look at you know, what's going on in their lives. And certainly if they've just had a big move, then that is going to be a huge factor that comes into play. The goal of course, is that we have a successful adjustment. That's always the goal. It is helpful to know for families that sometimes that's not realistic. And what I mean by that is it may not go perfectly and that's okay. You know, this, the decision to move someone is hard enough as it is. And there's a lot of weighing pros and cons and knowing, you know, I talk to a lot of families that are really weigh heavily this idea of, well, my loved one might decline temporarily or momentarily with this big change, but but I know as a family member that this is in the long run going to be best for them. And I've had family members that, you know, have waited and waited and waited till the last possible moment to move someone because they wanted to, to prevent a decline due to change as long as possible. 
So there is no right or wrong answer. And, and of course, there are those that choose to never move their loved one. And that's in that scenario, we probably wouldn't be looking at relocation stress syndrome <laughs> unless you as a family were to move somewhere together or change environments together. But like I said, there is there really is no right or wrong answer. It's just everybody is so individual and circumstances are so individual and it's weighing a lot of pieces out. So let's think about this for a minute. When we think about a move or a transition, when has adjustment gone well? And so you can think about that for yourself. You can think about when has there been change in my loved one's life? We can look at historically over time. I often ask that question. I'm a big believer in looking at someone's unique personal history because sometimes moves indicate a positive thing in someone's life. Like if maybe they got a raise at a job when they were younger and they got to move to a newer, nicer home, or they had children and so their families were expanding and they and they moved or, you know, an opportunity arose and they were able to relocate. So those are some positive historical experiences that folks may have had. And then there are negative ones as well. Like if somebody loses a job or they've had to downsize. One of my clients talked a lot about how traumatizing it was for her when she moved to uh, college. She had to move to a dorm and it didn't go well. And so when she moved to a facility, it really reminded her, it took her right back to that experience. But we were able to work with that, you know, that luckily her memory impairment wasn't such that we weren't able to communicate and she was able to have some insight related to that. But even if your loved one isn't able to have that insight, it's still very helpful to explore their history and, and learn more about what past moves have meant to them and how they have traditionally adjusted to change. So the thing that we're really looking for when we're doing that work is what has made the difference for them? You know, what really has made the difference? So is it, uh, for instance, this this woman that I was working with that moved to the dorm room and, and had a really traumatic adjustment period she was able to recall that her mother bought her a plant and she kind of laughed about it, but, but it made such an impression on her those first few months that she was living in the dorm room, she was able to nurture and care for the plant. It was a symbol of love from her mother. It was something for her to nurture and take care of. It gave her a focal point. And so that plant, as as simple as that seems or as silly as that might sound, really meant a lot to her. And so when we're looking at these past experiences that our loved ones have experienced, we really want to be pulling out what made the difference. You know, where did that switch flip and, and get creative, you know, about what that might look like. So transfer trauma is known by many different terms. We've heard, oh gosh, relocation stress syndrome, transfer stress, expectant anxiety. You could, you'll probably, you could probably come up with some terms or words that you've heard on your own. 
But basically, relocation stress syndrome is actually a formal nursing diagnosis. And I'll read to you the definition of this diagnosis. So it's a physiologic and or psychosocial disturbances as a result of transfer from one environment to another. It's also known as the combination of medical and psychological reactions to abrupt physical transfers that may increase the risk of grave illness or death. So you'll notice in those definitions, they talk about both medical and psychological reactions, which I think is really important to, to pay attention to. We know that older adults tend to complain more about physical pain when they're actually experiencing stress or depression. And so that, that's another little clue. If your loved one has recently moved to a new setting and you're noticing or hearing an increased complaint of pain, this could be playing a factor in that. And so, you know, of course, we want to address the pain. We want to have that examined. We want to get to the root cause of this. And part of the picture could be related to this adjustment period. So another thing to know is transitions, uh, it's more than just a move. We're asking or expecting our older adults with memory impairment to adjust to a brand new routine. So as you know, if you're a, a family caregiver yourself, routine can be so important. Even the smallest things can make such a difference with our loved one's mood and well-being when we're talking about dementia. So adjusting to a new routine is really asking a lot of our loved ones. They're also having to adjust to new people in their lives, the new care providers that might be involved and the new environment, just the, the environment alone would be a lot to adjust to. But that routine and schedule, new people and care providers, their peers in the environment, if there are other folks that are living in this new setting, they're adjusting to that. They may be adjusting to more stimulation than they're accustomed to, or they may be adjusting to less stimulation if they were coming from an environment where there was a lot going on. So the thing to remember is that consistency is so important and also flexibility is so important. So those two words at first might seem to contradict each other, consistency and flexibility. However, when we really look closely at the, the meaning of those and the importance of each of those, those words, you can, you can begin to see the importance of it. So consistency. We talk about the routine and schedule and it, it's creating a nice, safe, healthy boundary or barrier for our loved ones to move within. And we also need to be flexible because we need to recognize that during the adjustment period or really any period at all that in which we're providing care to someone with dementia, the importance of being flexible is so, so big. The other thing to think about is change is loss. This is true across the board for all human beings. Just the act of change alone is moving from one place to another. It's letting go and moving on. It's, it's evolving. 
And so change really is loss. And so we have to recognize that. And, and that goes for both the person who has memory impairment as well as family members. So how does relocation stress impact individuals, people with dementia? Well, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is you may have increased reports of pain. Again, that's something, there, there's some great studies out there that have examined that older adults they, they tend to somaticize their internal pain externally. So we tend to hear more complaints about pain. Another impact that we may see with our loved ones is it may affect their sleep. You know, it may change their sleep patterns, how often they're sleeping. And then as we know, there's a whole you know after effect that comes with, with that if, if people aren't getting good sleep. Sometimes it can cause medical complications or obviously it might impact their memory or cognition. It can have an impact on relationships. So where your loved one with dementia may have always relied on you or someone else in your family to talk to or go to or process with, you may find that there may be some projecting of anger or frustration towards those people. So that can definitely have an impact on relationships. And like I said earlier too, we also are looking at the increased risk of depression for these folks. What we wanna pay attention to is those feelings of isolation and disconnection. We all know, especially after this, the last year or so that we've been through, the importance of connection, the importance of feeling connected to our loved ones and the world. And so when we feel disconnect, it impacts everything. And we may see a decline physically from that. So with that, we have seen increased emergency room visits or medical complications that can come if this relocation stress isn't being addressed. So the other thing to think about is, you know, who is most at risk for experiencing uh, relocation stress? Well, the first group of folks that I think of are those individuals that do not have family or feel isolated. And so those are the individuals that, that I believe are really going to be the, the most impacted with a move. We also want to look at those individuals that have a history of depression or anxiety. And of course, we're talking about those individuals that have memory loss or memory impairment because they they struggle, they may struggle more with understanding why the move occurred or what's happening. And as we know, that can cause an immense amount of strain and stress on an individual to try to keep track of things or try to make you know, some sort of understanding about what's going on. Another population that is really high risk of having a hard time with transitions is those that have experienced a recent loss or those that are grieving. And that can look like a lot of things. Um, when we talk about loss and grief, you know, the first thing we think of is family members that may have passed away. It can also look like a family member that is, that is really sick and in the hospital. If if your loved one, and I, I'm thinking of a family that I've been working with in which one individual has dementia and the other one 
does not. However, the, the one that does not have dementia had a serious medical complication and ended up in the hospital and had to, you know, obviously leave. And so the person with dementia, the spouse that had dementia was, is experiencing um, loss of their partner who is no longer there. And so we really want to be looking at that and paying attention to the unique ways that, that folks grieve as well. Another set of concerns might be if, if somebody has a new diagnosis or new medical complications, or they may be experiencing chronic pain, that can really throw people obviously into a situation where they're not transitioning well. And then another one that I think of too is when there's been a recent change in the family roles. And so sometimes what I've seen is family, oh, you know, maybe there's kind of the matriarch or patriarch of the family and that person has dementia. And so other people in the family are kind of having to step up to be the decision maker or, you know, those roles, those unspoken sort of family dynamic roles that have been in place for years, that's shifting. And people, even with later stage dementia, feel that and sense that. And so that is a change. And like we said before, change can often mean loss. So those are some of the things that we kind of want to pay attention to. Now let's, let's look at what would be some signs or symptoms to look for. And this is where, you know, it gets a little, a little bit tricky in that a lot of the signs and symptoms look like depression or they look like sadness or crying or confusion. So when we, when we're working with individuals or we're caring for individuals who have memory impairment or individuals who have depression or anxiety, what we might see is an increase in those symptoms. We might also notice an increase in indecision or stress when needing to make decisions. So that might look like apprehension. For some individuals, it looks like restlessness like I mentioned earlier, sleep disturbance is, is really important to be paying attention to. Uh, is there sleep disturbance? What, what was the individual's prior uh, routine when it comes to sleep? We might notice an increase in insecurity or dependency, kind of a little more of that clingy behavior. That's very telling to us. Or there might be even this sense of distrust and more paranoia that might come up during the transition. Some individuals will withdraw and isolate. Some are going to do the opposite and act out and, you know, say negative, you know, have negative comments or be resistant to care or maybe have some anger agitation. And then the other thing too, that, that I think of when we, when we're looking at sleep is I'm always paying attention to sleep and pain and appetite, a change in appetite. So those are really, really important things to look at. I, I have a, a client, a few, and you probably know folks too, that when their stress levels go up, all of these symptoms tend to spike as well. And then the few that I'm talking about have irritable bowel syndrome. So they are definitely experiencing gastrointestinal issues, whether 
that's loose stools or stomach pain, you know, those sorts of things. And so for those individuals, again, we really want to pay attention to that because our loved ones with dementia may not be able to report the fact that they are in pain. So what are some symptoms of depression just in general? And it's important to just kind of have a good overview of what to be looking for when we're looking at older adults that might be experiencing depression. So feelings of worthlessness, persistent sadness, excessive worrying, weight changes, sleep changes, difficulty concentrating, withdrawal from normal activities, moving so slowly that others notice. So some of these things I actually took from a couple of our depression rating scales. So all of these things are going to have a huge impact when we talk about change, when we're talking about moving someone, you know, to a different level of care or to a new environment. So one of the things that we could explore here, when we think about how can we help prevent this from happening? What are some tools or uh, interventions that can help minimize the risk? Well, one of the things that I think of always is often change or loss of control or fear is at the core. So if we can recognize that alone and have some empathy towards that and just open our eyes to recognizing that that really is at the root of a lot of this, then that's going to help a lot. So some things that, that we can do that I kind of touched on before are knowing their story, you know, know their historical reactions to stress. Another thing that can be super helpful is involve the individual in the decision-making process if possible. And if not, include them as much as you can. In other words, get creative. So depending on what stage someone is in, uh, in their dementia or, or memory loss, you know, you can adjust to that. So someone that's at the, in the earlier stages might be able to include them in touring a place or, you know, a lot of facilities will welcome people to come have lunch with them or choosing, you know, how to decorate the room, things like that can be part of that decision-making process or where to hang a picture on the wall in the new room or where to, where to put the bed. Anything that gives someone a sense of control can be very helpful. The other thing, you know, if, if someone's in the mid to later stages, it's just informing them at their level of understanding. Again, not, I'm always a fan of really being very clear about your goal. And, and often the goal when caring for somebody with memory impairment is to help them feel safe and secure above all else. And so I talk about this a lot in which we really want to before we say anything or before we do anything, imagine that it's passing through a filter in our mind and, and ask yourself the question, is what I'm about to say or do going to help my loved one feel safe and secure? And if the answer is yes, then proceed. <laughs> and if the answer is no, that's when you stop yourself. And, and then you ask the second question, is there a way that I can say this, that I can share this information with my loved ones so that they will feel safe and secure. And so you can pivot at that point and change the way you may have talked about whatever it is you wanna share. And if you find that there's not, then I would reconsider communicating that information with your loved one at all. 
And so every situation is different, of course. I am always a, a big fan of informing them at their level of understanding. However, it's, if it's going to cause psychological or psychosocial harm by doing so, then that's where we start to get creative when we talk about therapeutic fibbing or you know, sharing information in a way that would make sense to them and that they might embrace. So another thing that can be helpful might be offering choices or assessing if they're not able to communicate, you know, assessing their needs and their preferences. If they can't be included in that process, that's where we really rely on the history and who knows them best and what, in, in your observation, what you think will cause, will help contribute to someone feeling safe and secure. If you're able, it's nice to provide opportunities to ask questions, you know, for your loved one to ask questions about it. We, we talk a lot about the importance of your body language and how you feel about a situation. So probably the number one thing I would say, the very first thing to do is really take a good self-look at how you feel because your loved one with dementia is going to pick up on that. And so if you feel confident and good about the decision to move forward, then chances are that's going to rub off on your loved one. If you're feeling anxious and not sure, or if you're actively grieving the decision, which is completely understandable, just pay attention to that and be really thoughtful about how you're communicating to your loved one, not only verbally, but through your own body language and your own energy that you're bringing to the conversation. So another thing that can be really helpful is to recreate familiar surroundings as you're able so again, if your loved one had a, you know, picture, a, a certain portrait on the wall that they've had for years, it, it can be helpful to have that in their space as well. You know, familiar items and setting things up so that, that it feels like home. Use, you know, bring the, the bedding and their clothes and you, just think things that will really be familiar to your um, loved ones. So trust and respect are really key as well. And being flexible, like we talked about, is key. I always encourage family members to participate and friends to participate when, you know, when appropriate and available. Being consistent with care and routine is going to help the, uh, our, our um, folks earn trust with the new care providers. As a family member, you can check in to see how things are going. Absolutely. The other thing that's really helpful for you as a family member is to really get curious and open communication with the new care providers. So create those opportunities. So that's what we hope to see is that you feel comfortable in knowing who to go to at the facility to talk about concerns or get information when you need it. That's going to help build that trust for sure. You know, as family members, families will have their own reaction to stress and the transition. 
And so it's important that you be gentle with yourself. Um, you may experience regret or guilt or denial or or relief, you know, and, and then you may feel guilty that you had relief, feelings of relief. <laughs> so it's just really important to not lose yourself in that process. If your loved one with dementia is experiencing um, relocation stress, I think that it can be one of the things that I can see with some individuals is that families either overcompensate and they get too involved and, and that can cause some disruption with the care or they do the opposite and withdraw completely. And so just pay attention to, you know, how you might be responding to the stress as well. Education. I'm just such a huge fan of education, you know, educating yourself about what to expect or what, what it looks like for you when you are experiencing stress and how you can catch that not only for yourself, but for your loved one. Cause again, they're going to pick up on that as well. So I hope that you got some information out of this. I think it's important for you to remember that grief absolutely is a normal reaction to loss and all change is loss in some way. I don't hesitate to reach out to a professional if you feel like it would be helpful for you or your loved one is being significantly impacted. It can be really helpful to have an advocate there on behalf of your loved one, like a care manager or, you know, somebody for you to talk to yourself to, to process the change as well. It's also important to set an intention for a positive outcome. I think that there's so much weight that's put on the stress of moving a loved one that we all, we may almost expect that we're supposed to feel a certain way and it's okay if you don't. And it's absolutely okay to set the intention for a positive outcome as well. Like listen to stories and people's experiences that went well. We want to plant that seed for sure. I, I truly believe in that, the, the power of intention and its impact on, on individuals. So also remember that connection versus isolation piece, you know, that feeling connected is key, whether you're living by yourself or you're living in a facility or, you're, you know, you could be surrounded by people and feel disconnected and you could be alone and feel deep connection. And so the feeling connected piece is, is really key here. And then the last thing that I'll say is presence is also very important. There's a difference between listening and hearing. You know, we can, we can listen to a lot of things, but not hear it really underneath what's going on there. So I hope this was helpful for you. I am very, you know, passionate, obviously, about supporting our folks who have memory impairment and family members. And so... I'm just hopeful that your family members do not experience relocation stress, but I also want to normalize it if they do and, and give you some, some of these tools to be thinking about as well. So I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day. And if you would like to learn more information about the work that I do, uh, you can check me out at eldercarecounselor.com. And of course, our podcast website is lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. 
Have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.